With three hosts in three shows, the door to this podcast revolves quicker than the one Mark manages office at Bradford City. Speaking of which, we could be in for a bumpy ride. Adrian Clark has just chucked his totally captain's armband at me, mumbling something scarcely believable about stitching. Uh-oh. Hang on to your hats, folks. This is the Totally Football League show. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, the trouble starter, punking instigator, filling in for Caroline. This week we're talking Norwich and their Wheel of Fortune, the aforementioned armband controversy in League One, drones and Rochdale who are over the hill. A standard week in the EFL then. Alongside me today, three magic people, voodoo people. First up, a man who once found himself in the mosh pit at the Isle of Wight Festival as the prodigy took to the stage. Adrian Clark, was that a more thrilling experience than even the brace you got in that 4-4 between Southend and Doncaster back in 97? close run thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was an unbelievable experience. I had my camera in my pocket, uh, foolishly, and within two songs, it was in a thousand pieces. <laughs> um, oddly, Sam Parkin has decided that Dortmund v Spurs was a more tempting offer than an hour in this windowless studio. So replacing our number nine, please welcome from TalkSport, Sky Sports, and loads of places with sport in the title in between, an Oxford aficionado. If we've got the poison, he's got the remedy. It's Simon Watts. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a song to throw in there, but I, apart, yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> and finally, we sent him to outer space to find another race, but all he came back with were some odds on football. From William Hill, it's the one and only Joe Crilly. Hello there. Right, we'll start with the championship. Lots of great games and one absolute stinker. Uh, that happened last night, the Sheffield derby. Adrian, it rained heavily. That was my main takeaway from this game. Can you can you offer anything more? No, it's not one that will live in in the memory for very long, is it? I, th- I think both the managers just set up not to lose. They 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 were a bit too cautious. Chances very few and far between. But when the chances did come, they were snatched at, weren't they? I, I thought it was a really good save from from Westford, Westwood from that Medine header. So it spread himself Schmeichelest. That was really good. Hutchison should have scored, I think, against Henderson. And apart from that, they just kicked each other a lot, didn't they? It was it was disappointing. I think for Sheffield United, for Sheffield Wednesday, it represents big progress because this is a team that were wide open just a few months ago and they're not anymore. Those defenders that we were berated on this podcast suddenly look half decent. That's because they've got a good manager. Decent point for Sheffield United, Simon, on reflection or is it one that they'll be ruining and thinking they could have got three? Well, it's a weird one because actually you look at the league table now and you think it could be considered two points dropped for both teams, really, if Sheffield Wednesday did, did have any hope of, of gate crashing those playoff places they probably needed to play for a win. But as Adrian says, it didn't really appear that way, which surprised me because, you know, when Chris Wilder was manager at Oxford United, he had a phenomenal derby record and, you know, he got us to win at Swindon for the first time in 38 years and, you know, he really goes for it. And, you know, he's a, he's a brave manager in these kind of uh, situations. But last night, I don't know whether it was just the occasion and the atmosphere and the pure fact that they're up against a Sheffield Wednesday team are in much better form than they were the last time they played them but I think the third consecutive nil-nil draw in the Steel City derby now so maybe no surprise. Right I've clocked that at five minutes 55 since producer Abby hit record for Simon to get his first Oxford mentioning so that's Well I normally have to get steady. Oxford swinging in when Sam's there but uh, <laughs> I just so in tribute to him I thought I'd do it. Uh, in terms of Saturday's championship action let's start at Villa Park. Villa now six points off the playoffs after a first win in six attempts they thrash derby 4-0 all the goals coming in the first half. That Jack Grealish volley, Adrian. Goodness <laughs> me. On the day he was captain as well. Yeah. Delightful. No, it was, it was stunning, wasn't it? It's amazing to think that, that it's not the goal of the season at Villa Park with a McGinn hit, which which was just on a different level, really. But but this was outstanding. And I've, I've been that guy sometimes that's been asked to, to do the volley from the edge of the box. And... Yeah, I, don't, I never scored one. Obviously, <laughs> I don't think I don't think many players ever do. But but yeah, that, that's one that he'll be sort of still dreaming about. I think it's one of those when you score a goal like that. Well, for me anyway, I, I did used to keep thinking about. Them. I used to picture it um, just just to sort of make yourself feel good. I think ahead of the next match. So so he'll be thrilled. So will Dean Smith. It was a result that they needed. They're a pretty good team, Aston Villa. Let's get this right. They pass the ball excellently. Much better, I think, this year than they did last year. Um, they cross the ball fantastically. It's just been the defence that, that's been dodgy. Didn't have to do any defending this game because Derby County was so poor. I saw them against your mob, Matt, at, at the city ground. They were they were awful, really, in that Derby. And by all accounts, even though there were six changes, they were even worse in this game. The midfield for Derby County is a bit of a mess at the moment. And he's got to find a formula, hasn't he, Lampard, with these key players out? Yeah, Simon, it, it's, it's definitely the toughest... Um, point of Frank Lampard's 
very, very early managerial career. They're only three points off the playoffs, though, but four defeats on the spin in all competitions. Um, David Connolly predicted this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, that the wheels had come off. No shots on target. Lampard said it's a reality check of the issues that we've had in recent weeks. I wonder if maybe their over-reliance on low knees is coming back to bite them a bit because Mount obviously injured and, and he seems to be their key player, which is strange for a teenager in his first season in, in English football, effectively. Tamori's in really poor form. Even Harry Wilson stopped scoring. Is that potentially a problem? It, it doesn't seem like he's got loads out the players he had there already, certainly in the second half of the season. But it's, it's the annual Derby crossroads, isn't it? And this is where uh, traditionally they stumble. So whether it's a psychological thing through the football club uh, and the supporters maybe start to get a little bit more edgy at this time of year, which I think can definitely have a bit of an impact on the team. Or not. I mean, Harry Wilson was on the bench the weekend. Again, he came on and had their first effort at goal, I think, after about an hour when they were already 4-0 down at half-time. But... Do you stick or twist in this situation? Because every year you can't keep going through this cyclical process of bringing a new manager in, give him a season to try and build a team. They tail off. You know, maybe Derby need a couple of years to get things right under Frank Lampard, particularly when he's trying to bring young players through, albeit a lot of them are on loan. So you kind of had to build that rebuilding process again in the summer. But uh, I mean, this is the championship. It's a welcome to the championship, isn't it? It's such a ruthless division, as we know. But I think he's right to try and put a little bit of perspective on it as well, because there are only one place and three points outside of those playoff positions there is going to be a bit of movement between those teams you know teams above them like Middlesbrough and West Brom as we saw at the weekend as well aren't in great form as well so it is salvageable and he's probably looking at it thinking let's have this blip now yeah the bad news keeps coming though for, for Lampard did you see the story in regards to Mel Morris the the chairman the owner he's, he's looking for more investment he basically if he finds a seller he he, he will sell up He's cut back a little bit this year. The Derby have spent a lot of money, haven't they, in recent years. In fairness to Lampard, I think one of the reasons why he's gone for the loan market is because he hasn't been given as big a budget for wages available to bring in the quality that he needs. So, it, slightly worrying times. You, you're beginning to think if they don't go up this year, and that's looking unlikely given their, their current form, then what's going to happen? Is there going to be a sale? Will the new ownership have, have the funds? Or, or if Morris is in charge, will he cut back e- even more? So even though he's a fledgling manager, he's um, being tested, isn't he? Yeah, big game for them against Wigan tonight. Big game for both those teams, actually. At the top of the table, Norwich ending the weekend as the division's leaders. Not quite the 4-3 thriller of their November meeting with Millwall. They won it by three goals to one. Millwall started well, uh, went one down, though, but equalised on half-time. Daniel Farker quoted the week, we enjoy our flying moments at the moment, and we know it's no coincidence we're in this position after 35 games because there are reasons to be confident. One of those reasons, Adrian, is Timu Puki, top scorer for the team of the top scorers in the division. And, I mean, he's vital to them, but they have got goals from everywhere too. Yeah, yeah I've been waxing Liverpool about, about Norwich for, for weeks, for months now, really. I know that in the in the odds with Joe, he, he wasn't favourite a few weeks ago to, to win the golden boot in the championship. I'd imagine he is now. We'll find out shortly, but... But yeah, he's been brilliant. He's already really written himself into Norwich folklore. He's got 24 league goals. I was looking at this. The only one player from the modern era has ever scored more. Chris Sutton in 93-94. So you go a long, long, long way back already. Beyond Chris Sutton, you're talking the 1950s and 1960s for any Norwich striker to have scored as many as Pukki has. He's still got 11 games to go. This is turning out to be... A legendary season. He, I think he's going to, no matter what happens, he's going to be re- forever remembered at Carrow Road. And I think it might just be the start. He, he looks so good. Mm. Did you see the um, Wheel of Fortune thing? I love this. Players who get fines get to spin a homemade Wheel of Fortune where depending on what you get, the fine can either be halved, doubled, trebled, quadrupled, or as in Marco Stieperman's case, you get to clean the manager's car inside <laughs> and out. I mean, that's the kind of story that comes out when teams are doing well, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what the form is really down to this season, don't you? The pink away dressing room. I mean, <laughs> this course. is where it all started. Uh, but what a finish as well by Puki for that goal and uh, you get these random players who pop up in the championship I remember Matej Vidra a few years ago at Watford took the league by storm as well and you know very few people uh, in the EFL have probably heard of them before they come to this country but one moment that stood out for me right at the beginning of the game actually which maybe sums up why Norwich are doing so well it was a, a Millwall corner at 0-0 and they had about 
four players on the line throwing bodies in the way of everything and they were trying to you know throw an aerial bombardment at them they actually did score from a set piece mind you but I think that really summed up the kind of, of spirit and everything that they got there at Norwich at the moment the fact that they were you know just blocking everything that came their way yeah. and what, what about Millwall What's gone wrong for them? Neil Harris saying the league is the best it's ever been and, you know, they haven't got the funding of other clubs. But a point off the relegation zone, three defeats on the spin, there's a good chance that they could go down, isn't there? And so impressive in the FA Cup, it it seems a bit odd. But I think you hit the nail on the head there with what you say. I mean, we'll talk about this later with Rochdale, but you reach a certain point financially with the football club, particularly in the championship where Millwood are probably coming up against teams who got more than double their budget, maybe treble in some cases. It's pretty obvious that they're going to find themselves in a relegation battle. And you look at the teams in and around those bottom places in the division, it's probably no coincidence that all the way up to Stoke in 16th, all the teams below them are probably the ones with the lowest budget in the league. Yeah, it's a bit like Burton last season, I suppose, Adrian, isn't it? But I wouldn't expect there to be any pressure on Neil Harris. Does his status no, within the club mean yeah. that that's not the case? Yeah, it doesn't last forever, does it? We know that. Football is, is a ruthless business. But they're in the FA Cup, aren't they, still, in, in, in the last eight? So With a winnable tie. It is, yeah. So so I think that's brought him a lot of credit with the fans, with the club, have brought in a lot of money for that, much-needed money. But um, they are what they are. They're scrappers, aren't they? They haven't got... They can't afford players with as much ability as the, as some of the others in the championship, and that's why they have to have to play a different brand of football. They do what they do really well, but it can be predictable, can't it? it, it there's only so far the aerial threat and, and and real tenacity takes you. I think you, you're not going to win every week. I think Millwall are about, are about right. Uh, they'll survive. I don't, I'm not worried for Millwall. All the way back to Friday night, then Leeds four, West Brom nil. Michael Spryce tweeted us at the Totally Show asking: After Leeds four nil win against West. Is it now a three-horse race for the automatic spots in the championship? Two damaging defeats against fellow promotion rivals in a row without scoring for West Brom, and they'd been so good away. Uh, It's been a three-horse race for a while, I think. Uh, Yeah, they are the best teams by some distance. The others, the others have all got much more inconsistency, haven't they? And and yeah, I I like the identity. They've all got an identity. Leeds, Leeds are this unbelievable high-tempo pressing team. We saw that just seconds into the game, didn't we? With the goal, the aggression of winning the header flying forward we know Norwich are all about possession and movement and it's, it's so much control and Sheffield, Sheffield United have got that, that unusual system with a three at the back and, and the, the overlapping centre-halves and 3-5-2 so it's, they're all, they all know what they're doing they're experts at what they do yeah the others are, are, are behind them this was impressive uh, yeah I think Leeds are, Leeds are terrific they have the most shots in the league they got probably the best player in the league in, in Pablo Hernandez I mean eight goals 11 assists he's missed a lot of football as well I think there are many better out there. Bamford is a good finishing. So, and, and in this game, I hammered Tyler Roberts last time out on this show, but he he had a terrific match as well. So, so yeah, Leeds are back, and I guess you've got to say them them and Norwich are in pole position. Really, one of the most impressive performances of the season, arguably, actually, Simon for Leeds, particularly when you think that they lost at QPR and it was all um, pain and misery, and Bielsa sat on his bum on his own outside the dressing room afterwards. Just wonder about the energy that they showed in this game. We thought they'd looked a bit leggy in recent weeks. Maybe the return of Patrick Bamford could actually be really timely for them. We know he's a decent finisher, but it just adds that bit of freshness when you have a player who's been out for so long. Yeah, and also it's funny how sometimes these things work in a team's favour when your talisman is out for a little while. I remember last season, Harry Kane missed the latter stages of the season for Tottenham, but then came back strong in the last few games. And maybe it's a bit of a blessing that Kemar Roof has got this little spell on the sidelines now. They certainly didn't look like they missed him on Friday night. And it's interesting you mentioned Tyler Roberts because I saw him as a 17-year-old. He came on loan at Oxford. It's really interesting to see how these players go out for development. And he looks so raw and a million miles away from the player he already is now and West Brom obviously you know decided to get rid of him for three million last year sell him and cash in with Leeds but I bet they're regretting that now aren't they because they're seven points above West Brom in the table but that gap looked a lot lot bigger on Friday night. If you're in that part of the world, the Totally Football Show are doing a live show at the Leeds City Varieties Music Hall on Monday the 15th of April. That'll be Jimbo with Rory Smith, Julian Laurent and James Horncastle if he's not too busy washing his hair, which is even dirtier than your football team, Leeds. Tickets for that show are at cityvarieties.co.uk. Quickly on a couple of games, Hull 2, Birmingham 0. Hull was supposed to fall away. All of a sudden they're level on points with Birmingham and Forest. Um, Jared Bowen, he's really good. 
Absolutely. And uh, I think he's a player they plucked out of non-league football, isn't he? When they got relegated from the Premier League, they had to kind of search from solutions within uh, when they were trying to get rid of some of their big earners. And he's a player that I think they'll face a real difficult struggle to hold on to in the summer, really. He's already attracted a lot of interest, hasn't he? And uh, again, the difference at the weekend. Big game at the bottom, Adrian, was Ipswich 1, Reading 2, just second away win of the season for Reading. A game that they had to win. We're, we're already thinking Ipswich are gone. They needed an injury time or a last-minute goal from Submo Barrow to win it. They got to follow up against Wigan at the weekend, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I was I was impressed by this performance. I like the goal from Mo Barrow. If only he could do that more often. You saw the way he sort of dragged the ball into his path. I thought it was absolutely outstanding. Great instinctive finish. I think Barrow is one of those players. If you can somehow programme him not to have any time to think... It'll be a heck of a player, but he's, when he's got that time, he invariably just makes makes awful decisions, which is why he's probably fortunate to be playing in the championship, really, because he, he, he drives managers mad. Um, but that was a good goal. Emmy Martinez was the star of the show here, Arsenal goalkeeper on loan. Uh, he's a guy I know that, that Arsenal have got a lot of time for, actually. He's massive, really good personality. But he's barely got a sniff, obviously, because he's had bigger names up against him, Czech and Ospina. But there is a gap at Arsenal, potentially, with with Czech retiring, Ospina definitely being sold. I think he's he's currently there on trial, not for Reading, but for Arsenal to prove to Unai Emery that he is the guy that he can trust to be the number two next season. And I have to say, since he's gone there, he's been absolutely brilliant. So, so look out for more big performances from Emi Martinez. I don't, I don't know how good he is, but he, he is having a, a really positive loan spell. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show in association with William Hill. Joe, you've been sat there patiently. Now you get to talk about your crisis football club. The latest, the Bolton News reporting yesterday, Monday, that the club's lost stock training complex was shut down because there'd be no food, drink or supplies available for players and support staff. Players still haven't been paid for February. They owe Manchester police money for policing matches. Just when you think it can't get much worse. Where is Dean Holdsworth? <laughs> Sadly, I wasn't uh, around this time last week uh, where I would have been uh, talking about a potential takeover. Now that's kind of hit the back burner somewhat with uh, with the, the consortium that were in pole position to buy the club now maintaining a bit of a watching brief just to see how bad things really are at the club. Are you angry as a, as a fan with Ken Anderson? Well, I guess you are. But but has he jumped the gun there by making this so public, by, by announcing with all this fanfare that, that the sale is happening when clearly... There are still other issues to to sort out. His tenure at Bolton Wanderers has been pretty much summed up by a lot of short-termism. So he will make announcements that are intended to placate fans and players over the short term, but doesn't have any forward planning, doesn't have any forward thinking. And ultimately you get further and further down the road and after papering over the cracks for the short term, you, you end up with this massive crumbling club that nobody wants to buy and why why would you buy it now for 27 million quid or or however much Ken Anderson is asking for if the club goes into administration and you can you can basically get away with 10 or 20 pence in the pound and and buy the club for a hell of a lot cheaper now I'm led to believe that the the training ground was uh, was shut yesterday because there were only going to be a few players there anyway the players generally get Mondays off. Uh, they've turned up for training today, although they might not be able to eat anything after after they've trained. Hang on, Mondays off. I mean, maybe maybe this is, this is somewhere we should be looking for uh, you know, reasons behind the poor season. I mean, Mondays off. Yeah, apparently so. So uh, uh, Mark Isles reported players usually get Mondays off as a rest day, and, and most of the youth teams were also in action. Sunday and and Monday, so they weren't going to be in the facility either. As of today, players and staff remain unpaid, and worryingly, a number of the part-time staff released a statement last night saying that they hadn't been kept in the loop as full-time staff and players had been, and are threatening to pull out of Saturday's clash at the University of Bolton Stadium against Millwall. Uh, So that could mean that the game may not go ahead. 
Well, this is a lovely setup for our competition. If you'd like to see Bolton play some football and you live in the Wigan area, then we've got two pairs of tickets for Wigan against Bolton on Saturday, the 16th of March. If you want to be in with a chance of winning, then head to Instagram, search for at Totally Football Show, give the post a like, and you could be on your way to the DW. Competition closes on Friday, the 8th of March. T's and C's on our audio boom page. And as Ian says, please only get involved if you actually want to go. A big win at the bottom for Rotherham, 3-2 against Blackburn. Their first win since New Year's Day. They haven't won back-to-back league games in the league all season and they've got Sheffield United and Norwich in two of their next three. Um, So good luck with that. Paul Warren said, we were a bit nervy and it sounds a stupid thing to say, but I think we scored too early. Um, But they hung on, Simon. And just like Millwall, this is a club financially punching well above their weight being in the championship yeah definitely but he's put together a a much more competitive squad this season than the one he inherited when they got relegated a couple of years ago hasn't he and and for that uh, I think they deserve a great deal of credit actually another quote from Paul Ward after the game one of the the best quote I've seen of the weekend actually he said in 15 years time when you're watching Sky Sports News and you see ex-Rotherham manager Paul Warren has died remember the game uh, and know that you played a part in my early death apparently that's what he told his players (laughs) after the match (laughs) He sounds like a really fun guy to work for. He's not your normal gaffer, is he? I do like him, uh, old Warniola. He's uh, he's built a team that are a beast in the air, aren't they? They are super. You see the goals. I mean, they're all they're all from sort of headers, long throws, crosses hoisted into the box. Ajayi is another player that started at Arsenal as a centre half, and yeah, he's done really well actually. I, I never foresaw a career at this level really in the Championship for him, but he's 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 shining. At the moment, all I say, I, I think there's a lot of fight at Rotherham, and of all the contenders at the bottom, they're the most likely, I think, to maybe put in a run where they can escape. But I have looked at the fixtures; they have the toughest running of the lot. Basically, they've got QPR with the lowest side that they can face. They're, they're up against eight promotion contenders: mid-table Swansea and Stoke, and QPR, and that's it. So, so when you look at that you still think they're probably, or they probably should be, among the three favourites to to go down. Uh, As for Blackburn, one point from six, but they're 11 above the bottom three. Their season kind of drifting away into mid-table nothingness. Wins two for Brentford, Stoke and Swansea. Let's get some odds, though. Joe, we like the uh, the top scorer market. We mentioned Timu Puki. Is is he the the firm favourite with your guys? Favourite, yes. Firm, not so much. You can still get odds against on him being the top scorer. Uh, He's six to five favourite ahead of Billy sharp at 11 to 4 and it now looks like a two horse race Tammy Abraham was in the mix a few weeks ago if you remember uh, but he's drifted out to 5 to 1 now and it's 8 to 1 bigger the rest in terms of staying up I mean Ipswich you're going to give me a big price on them staying up absolutely uh, Ipswich are 1 to 100 to go down oh uh, so if you put 100 pounds on you win one pound <laughs> uh, on them getting ready. I shouldn't laugh because Bolton are one to twenty-five. So um, Rotherham, we just talked about them. They're four to five, just a little bit shorter than Reading at five to four to go down. Millwall, we we mentioned that they might get sucked into the the relegation battle, but they're six to one to to go down. So quite a big price. We had a little chat about the teams just outside the playoffs. No surprise that I'm going to ask you to give me a price on two-time European champions Nottingham Forest who uh, didn't follow up their win against Derby. They probably drifted to something quite long because there's no chance of us getting in the playoffs. Yeah, 25 to 1, oh. uh, which is the same price as Villa at the moment. Derby, quite a big price at 10 to 1 to to get promoted uh, given that they are just that, that those uh, three points outside. Oh, I'm of interested the- in Villa at that. Mm-hmm. I still think it's on for Villa now that they've they've got this new rear guard a bit a little bit more solid. They, they score a lot of goals. Villa they create tons of chances. I think they've got a great chance what at about, that price. What about Sheffield Wednesday as well? No. No, no. <laughs> well, they're 82. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it for the championship. Next up, somewhat prosaically, we're off to League One. Make this an every Saturday super with the Super Saturday Reloaded coupon from William Hill. Available in all William Hill branches across the UK. With more prizes on offer than ever before, your new Super Saturday competitions offer you the chance to win a share of £1 million and some additional extra goodies specific to your region. All you have to do is select the number of goals, corners and cards across three selected football matches. Super Saturday football and racing competitions are free to enter when you bet £10 at your local William Hill. T's and C's apply. You can find out more at williamhill.com. And remember, when the fun stops, stop. 
to the middle tier of the EFL, then they call it League One for branding purposes. And it's a division those leading the way are desperate to escape. The top four all won this weekend. We'll start with leaders Luton. They're the story of their game with Rochdale surrounded the strugglers. Luton 2, Rochdale 0. Rochdale, remember them? We've not given them much attention, but they've grabbed it now by sacking manager Keith Hill. He'd been in charge for six years in his second spell as Dale boss, served as manager for over a decade in total and led the club to two of the three promotions they've had in their history. He leaves after four defeats on the spin with the team five points from safety. The club statement read, Rochdale Football Club has terminated the contracts of Keith Hill and Chris Beach with immediate effect. It's been the most difficult decision that the board has had to make, but it's felt that due to results on the pitch, a new direction is needed etc and so on Simon is this the right call it's, it's a similar kind of situation to the one we were speaking about with Neil Harris who had a lot of credit in the bank because of what he did as a player Keith Hill because of what he did as a manager but are they right to freshen it up at this stage I'm totally torn on this one particularly from the outside looking in you know Rochdale supporters will probably tell you it was time for him to go and it's kind of reminiscent of Daryl Clark at Bristol Rovers and Neil Ardley at AFC Wimbledon almost a classic example of being a victim of your own success because I think Rochdale have probably got one of the if not the lowest budget maybe by AFC Wimbledon in League One this season two promotions in its time two different spells at the football club and to get them to 11th I think their highest ever finish in their history a couple of years ago they avoided relegation on the last day last year so you could argue they were in a relegation battle and only just stayed up by the skin of their teeth last time round but they're probably very much in a position that you would expect them to be in at the moment so how long can you keep working miracles at a football club one thing I'm absolutely certain of is that Keith Hill will uh, land himself a managerial position and possibly one with a better budget and give him more scope for success than than Rochdale and you know sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for because I don't think okay There's a theory, isn't there, that new managers come in and they give you that bounce that you need to stay up. This is why they've done it. But I'm not convinced that that will happen here, you know, this season, to be honest with you. Yeah, it does seem weird. Rochdale without Keith Hill appointed in uh, 2013 was the third longest serving manager in the Football League. It's interesting what Simon says there about where he goes next, Adrian, because obviously he went to Barnsley. Didn't quite work for him there. Do you you think he he stays in League One or does he go to a top-end League Two? You know where he's going to stay. He's going to stay in the North, isn't he? He just just feels like a Northern manager. There'll be a club out there that, that... that takes a chance on him sooner rather than later. His team's are always quite good to watch, aren't they? I, I've, I do like him as a manager. And this Rochdale team score a lot of goals. I mean, playoff chasing Coventry and, and Blackpool have scored a lot less than Rochdale. It's just at the back. They've been fairly calamitous. Got the worst record. 74 goals conceded. I mean, that's why they're, they're right near the bottom of the table. So whoever does come in, I would imagine they'll be... Well, they need to try and be dour and... And grind out results because it's pretty obvious where they need the most work. I mm, wonder if Steve Evans might fancy that. On the pitch in that game, Danny Hilton ended his goal drought. He hadn't scored a, since a hat-trick against Accrington in October and James Collins got his 20th of the season. To Fratton Park next, Portsmouth 5, Bradford 1. Mad props to Pompey and all that. Great 5-1 win after none in their previous eight. Five points off automatic promotion, etc. and so on. But there's loads more than just a massive thumping to talk about here. For one thing, a drone stopped play for a bit in the second half. Portsmouth tweeted, not sure what's happening here. The referee's been called to the sidelines and everyone's looking up in the air. The action has stopped. Brackets 61 minutes. Prior to that, there was this bizarre hubbub surrounding the Bradford captaincy. So caretaker manager Martin Drury had made Paul Caddis captain, replacing Anthony O'Connor. Caddis goes off injured at halftime. O'Connor takes the armband and then a minute into the second half, takes it off, chucks it into the goal mouth. After the match, he puts out a lengthy statement saying the stitching was coming away and that's why he took it off. He also referenced social media reports about his supposed goal bonus, saying, for the record, I don't carry a goal bonus in my contract and can assure every single... Bradford City supporter the last thing on my mind in the dressing room at Walsall was the consolation efforts I scored plenty on the to-do list then for new boss Gary Bowyer who replaces the departed David Hopkin Adrian you nailed that last week and Bowyer continuing his question only manage teams whose name begins with B you thought it was a good choice I mean what what does he do about about this O'Connor thing first do you believe him it sounds like such an extraordinary excuse
case that it can't not be true. Yeah, but no, I do believe him. I really do. I've I remember not I don't know about captain's armband. Well, yeah, actually, I was a captain towards the end of my career. <laughs> Sometimes my my guns weren't big enough. You see, and it was too big. It was too big. I don't for me. believe that. I it can't was, believe. I know. That. Looking at me today, <laughs> as the specimen I am, it's hard to believe. But I was actually quite skinny before, and uh, and yeah, it, it often used to slip down, and it was just really annoying. And I'd have to sort of double it up. And on occasion, I think I probably dumped it. I probably chucked it off the pitch, not because I didn't want it, but because it was annoying. And if this was annoying him, then then fair play. What I do find find a bit strange is that the caretaker manager effectively stripped stripped him of the captaincy. You think if you're in charge for one game, just leave it alone. There's no need to to make such a big statement there. So that's a bit odd. But I don't think throwing it in the net was was a big deal. But do you not just go to the physio and say, can you just wrap some black tape around this to keep it there? If in particular you're already getting the fans' backs up with something else that you've yeah, done. maybe, maybe. But pff, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the full story in terms of the background in, in his relationship with the supporters. I think he did it at the end where the Bradford supporters were as well, so it was visible. I don't think it was symbolic. If it was, if it was something that he wanted to deliberately do, then he should probably never be captain again. But I'm prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Simon, on the appointment of Gary Bowyer, it's till the end of the season. Is this not a club screaming out for some stability or, or is this wise of them to do it, thinking, well, he'll keep us up and then we'll address it and we'll maybe get Phil Parkinson back in the summer or something? It's probably, though, I wonder whether this has been dictated by Gary Bowyer himself. Um, last season, Simon Grayson went in and did a similar thing, wanted to have the season to kind of see if it was as bad as everyone talked about on the outside behind the scenes and then decided to walk away in the summer. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame because Bradford City obviously is such a big football club and I wonder whether you know the size of the crowds and everything like that almost stacked as a burden at the moment because the fans are massively on the players backs they clearly don't seem to be playing very well as a team at the moment despite on paper probably having the best squad in the bottom half of the table uh, but Gary Boyer he loves a challenge like this doesn't he I mean my word Blackpool Blackburn Rovers and Bradford City I mean uh, what he does have is this ability to walk into a club and put all of the politics and uh, discontent among supporters and owners to one side and somehow managed to channel that into getting positive results for the team. I think this will be arguably the biggest challenge of the lot though because it's very different at Blackpool when everyone's staying away and so you've only got you know, two and a half thousand fans on your back. You can have fifteen thousand plus on their back on a Saturday at Valley Parade, which presents its own problems, doesn't it? But he is, I think, in this position they're in, the perfect appointment. And one team with no intention of making a managerial change at Barnsley, hugely impressive three nil win for them at South End. It came after the news that top scorer Kiefer Moore is out for the season after a head injury sustained against Gillingham. They didn't miss him here. Corley Woodrow, 5-in-5, five five, suggesting he can make up for, for Moore's absence. But also, Adrian, they played for more than half the game with 10 men when it was at 0-0. It was exceptional before. It is exceptional because Southend aren't a poor side. Okay, They're an inconsistent team, but they're not all over the place. So that is an incredible effort from them. They played it perfectly. I think it's another indication of the quality of Daniel Stendhal with with his tactics. We we bigged him up at the start of the season and we've gone a bit quiet on him, but but he is he's been a very impressive performer in the technical area, sets the team up well. Good football. And and what he did here, he basically just he did retreat a little bit, played on the counter and and, and the guys were were lethal, weren't they? It was the substitute, um, Barra, wasn't it, that, that came on and, and made the difference. He he set up one of the goals, I know. The right back was superb, Cavare. It, it was excellent. And I thought the red card, actually, I just wanted to m- mention this. Jacob Brown, on the face of it, it's dangerous. It's a really high tackle. He flies in. He misses him. I just think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. And I know that we want to outlaw those kind of challenges. But when you don't make contact with anyone... I just think it's wrong that it's a red card. I think that should be a, a, a firm ticking off and a yellow card. But we, we, we have players like Danny Rose at the weekend. Referee sees it, deems it an accidental stud in the chest of, of Bernd Leno. And, he, and he's, he's actually hurt him. And that's a yellow. Yet this one, he gets a red. So I think that that's a, that's a law that Lee needs looking at. Because the bottom line is he didn't hurt anyone. 
Yeah, consistency in refereeing is difficult to get in the same division, never mind across the entire football league. So Barnsley, two points above third place Sunderland, having played a game more this after Sunderland beat Plymouth 2-0. 800-mile round trip for Argyle. Shout out to the 1,726 supporters who went and are probably just getting home now. Uh, Sunderland unbeaten in 2019, three wins on the spin. They might even have booked a trip to Wembley by the time you hear this. They're in the EFL Trophy semi against Bristol Rovers on Tuesday. Uh, Elsewhere, Peterborough 4-2 against Wickham, Matt Godden, another striker ending a goal drought. He got two after 11 games without. Simon, first home win of his 14th spell in charge for for Darren Ferguson. Only outside the playoffs on goal difference. This felt big because he got a decent result in his first game and a couple of points here and there away on the road, but they hadn't looked great at home. So this would just settle everybody down, supporters, players, etc. Yeah, a real big win for them. And uh, it was all really down to the enigma in League One is Marcus Madison because uh, he is the best player in the division when he's playing well, but often he just has a complete stinker, doesn't he? But couple of assists and a couple of goals and it's a, a, a two-way jousting contest really between Peterborough and, and Doncaster Rovers they keep trading places and I think it's going to be like that right to the wire ironic of course that the managers in charge of each of those clubs managed the other one previously as well so uh, that makes it an interesting battle I mean you know Peterborough on the face of it on paper have got you know a very very good squad in that division and uh, they've recruited and spent quite heavily so it shouldn't be a surprise that they are where they are but uh, they're just is equally likely to go and slip up in the next game as they are to win. They're, they're just very, very inconsistent, really. Mm. Bristol Rovers 4, Blackpool nil. Big week for Blackpool off the pitch. Not so good on it. Blackpool, as of Monday, this is with um, the change of ownership that is imminent, 11,500 home tickets sold for Saturday's match against Southend compared to just over 3,000 who watched their win over Warsaw last month. Anyone listening will be heading back to Bloomfield Road for the first time in a while. Enjoy it. You've earned it. As for Bristol Rovers, though, Adrian, I know you've been taking a look at them. Deadline day signing from Coventry. Johnson Clark Harris got a hat-trick, including loans. This is his 10th club. He's only 24. Um, Rovers, two points from safety after this win. They've got a game in hand mentioned that semi that they've got tonight which is a potential distraction but did, did you see yeah. enough here to keep them up oh yeah I think that this was an outstanding performance this was a, the kind of performance you'd expect to see from promotion contenders the, the quality was there it wasn't unlucky I mean Blackpool Terry McPhillips of Blackpool said that they battered us as simple as that Clark Harris obviously he's a good number nine I think I think he's he, this might be the place where he, he eventually settles down I think when you score a hat-trick like, like he did it it will certainly make you feel at home. So, so I wish him the best of luck. Yeah, nine points from the last six games. They're they're actually at the top of the form table. I think they're sixth in the, in the form table. Bristol Rovers. So Cotland is doing a really good job. What he has done, I think, is because they've, they've not scored very many goals this year, and because they were struggling, they'd gone tight and uh, nervous on the ball inside the final third. I think what he's done is relaxed them. He's just said, look, honestly, it doesn't matter. Just go out there. Knock the ball around, keep the ball for fun. I'm going to be okay with it if you if uh, I just don't want to see you bottle it or play with fear. And and they they express themselves in this game, and they absolutely tore into them. He also mentioned the 10k club, which I haven't heard other managers talk about before. This is like because they're all GPSed up these days, aren't they, the players? And even at that level, they they get measured. And 10 kilometers is sort of the yardstick for you've worked hard. And he, he says, I want six or seven players every week in the 10k club. And he said, I haven't seen the stats, but I I would put money on there being eight or nine in the 10K club. So look, it's, it, it, it's quite, it was a nice line from him and it gives an insight into the, the data that even clubs like Bristol Rovers, you know, clubs in League One, League Two do look at. The 10K club, I think producer Abby's just found the title for this show. Rovers, the fourth lowest scoring team in the league, so that was a pretty surprise result. Elsewhere near the bottom, Oxford 2, Scunthorpe 1. Two points clear of the relegation zone now, Simon. Some goals for Jerome Sinclair, finally. Uh, Are you feeling optimistic about the chances of staying up? Yeah, I mean, we're just such a strange team this year. You know, on occasions we look a really decent side. On others, two weeks ago, had been 4-2 at Accrington. looked absolutely terrible. But uh, it was great to see Jerome Sinclair score just a couple of poachers' goals because that's exactly what we missed this season. Someone in the six-yard box to put the ball in the back of the net. And it was uh, strange, really, because in the build-up to the game, you've been talking about that's exactly what they've been working on in training all week. And 
sometimes when you see some of the set pieces and things like that and they say they've been working on that all week you wonder how that could be possible so it's good to see it come off but we've got some very big games coming up in the next three matches Gillingham on Saturday Rochdale on Tuesday then Bradford after that all teams in and around them in the table those kind of fixtures scare me actually because we tend to play better against the teams at the top of the table but uh, two wins out of two and it's been a, a couple of landmarks in recent weeks first away win of the season at Blackpool last week and first back to back wins of the season since April last year so um, yeah it's looking slightly better but you just never know with Oxford you just can't trust him odds wise Joe Gab Sutton asks which is the highest placed League One side still in relegation danger and which is the lowest placed side still with a realistic chance of staying up I I saw that this morning and I was looking at the table and in my personal opinion I think it goes all the way up to 11th place Burton Albion so when I um when I looked at the, the the prices for relegation, I was quite happy to see that we've priced up every team all the way up to Burton. <laughs> so um, they're seven points from safe from yeah. uh, bother at the moment. But yeah, so so Burton are, are thirty three to one to be relegated. I mean, the fact that they're seven points away means that they could realistically not pick up enough points. But in all reality, there's so many teams below them that they'll, they'll probably make their way to safety. In terms of uh, teams that could could survive, if um, if Bradford get a new manager bounce, it's already been mentioned, if they get a new manager bounce, they could realistically stay up. Rochdale could realistically stay up. I think pretty much anybody, except for I think it, it could all be over for AFC Wimbledon. The, the odds kind of suggest that, but everybody else... Bradford four to eleven to go down. Rochdale two to five. Walsall seven to four. Bristol Rovers, despite being in the relegation zone, a two to one to go down. Wimbledon twelve to one on. All right, so not quite Ipswich levels, but but not looking great either way. What about Rochdale's next manager? What's what's the market for that looking like? It hasn't settled at all. Uh, the shortest price is Paul Hurst at five to one. So still quite a big price. Other interesting names: Steve Evans six to one. Ian Everett. Uh, who's currently managing Barrow? He's six to one. Uh, Kevin Nolan eight to one. So it, it, it'll probably take a little bit of time for that market to kind of work out which way it's, it's going. But uh, at the moment, a lot of names in the running. All right. Well, four of those teams that we've just been mentioning about are going to finish up in League Two, and that is where we are heading next. Hello, I'm Emma Bullymore, and I'm Mark Jeffries. We host the Series Link podcast for TV fans by TV fans. And this week we have a very special guest. We managed to sit down with the one and only Ricky Gervais. Jane went to Brighton once um, to visit her mum and the boiler went and I didn't know how to do it. And (laughs) I couldn't get the telly on. So I sat for two nights. So she went for two days. Two days. and, (laughs) And she came out and it was like... It was, honestly, it was like Castaway. <laughs> he talked to us about everything, including his new Netflix show, Afterlife, his love of dogs, and what he thinks of Twitter critics. To be able to cast your leading lady as a German shepherd <laughs> was unbelievable for me. And I admit, I cast it on looks first, and then, then she backed up with a great personality. Search Series Linked on your podcast app to hear the full interview with Ricky. A little tale for you here about League Two. First, second, third and fourth all win. Fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth <laughs> all lose. Lincoln City, 2-1 at Forest Green, Adrian. Big win after five draws in six. It, I know Sam doesn't buy into the fact that they were having a bit of a wobble, but they needed that. They did need it, yeah. It's a really big win because Forest Green are a very good team, actually. What he did, he made a tactical change. They've, they've been 4-2-3-1 the whole season. And he's thought, you know what, Matt Reed has come on. He's made a bit of a difference in certain games. Let's just try it out. Reed and Akinde. And I think on paper, I'm really surprised he hasn't tried it more often because Reed is obviously the battering ram and Akinde loves to run the channels, doesn't he? For, especially from from flick on. So so that's what they did, 4-4-2. And it worked. And they've got two good wingers, haven't they? Andrade, who's the, the man in form. And, and Harry Anderson was back, back from his suspension. So... I don't think Lincoln are the best team on form at the moment. We'll probably get to Berry, who who are very shortly, but but they're, they're the next best. Yeah, you mentioned Berry three 0 against Macclesfield. They go to Cheltenham tonight. Simon Nicky Maynard, seventeen goals for the season. Is he the signing of this season in League Two? 
Oh, Nicky Maynard. Yeah, well, he was on... <laughs> oh, Nicky Maynard. <laughs> There's a backstory here. Yeah, yeah, you know it's because I come back to Oxford as well, don't you? Yeah, he was training with us back in September and the chairman vetoed a deal to sign him. And uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, he's been brilliant. And perhaps no surprise, yeah, he's had a, a couple of dry spells in the last three or four years at various different clubs, but a player with pedigree. And it's all about finding your level and getting, getting your mojo as a striker, isn't it? And uh, he's found, you know, a level where he's head and shoulders above a lot of other strikers in that division scores all scores all sorts of goals and you know watching his effort again at the weekend I mean every time I see him pop up on the score sheet you know I think what might have been but yeah I think Berry have got a very strong squad they kept the good players with the right attitude from last year biffed all the ones that didn't have the right attitude and uh, I think you know a great deal of credit needs to go to Ryan Lowe for kind of uh, pulling that dressing room together because uh, they on paper didn't have a team that should have been relegated last season but they were possibly mirroring Bradford City this year really which on paper you know it, it, you don't see what goes on behind the scenes but I think to be where they are this year and they were only one win away from Wembley as well in the Checker Trade Trophy losing to Portsmouth last week he's for a first time manager I think done really really well there this year I genuinely didn't know about Maynard in Oxford, and I'm very sorry that I upset you. Uh, as for Macclesfield, Adrian, he's tougher. Really he really is <laughs> T- tougher in the games for Macclesfield at the moment. No wins in six, and they've got MK, Dons, and Exeter next. Four uh, points from safety. It's a, it's a difficult time for as we're obliged to call them Sol Campbell's yeah, yeah, he's doing fine, and and he's he has revitalised them. That the, the guys up top have have done okay for him, but but there is only so much you can do with a squad that's that's not as good as, as other squads around them. I, I still wouldn't write them off, I, given especially the fact that Paul Val can't seem to score and others down there are, are really labouring. So so I wouldn't write them off completely. But but yeah, this, this is one of those fixtures they had no chance of winning, I don't think, at Berry. This is a team that's, across the last 12 games, got 27 points. That's, that's awesome. That's five better than anyone else. So what the key is here for Sol... And I hope that he'll do this. And he's quite a calm guy. They need to they need to chill. They need to not worry too much about that game, uh, and and try and keep that morale up because they've shown enough under his tenure to survive, in my opinion, if they if they have the right camaraderie and effort. Game I did the highlights of on Saturday, Mansfield 4, Cheltenham 2. It was really, really good fun, this. Uh, well done, Mansfield, by the way, for letting under-18s in for free to this one. Uh, CJ Hamilton scored twice right at the end of the first half, making light of Tyler Walker's absence through suspension. Michael Duff, the Cheltenham boss, afterwards said post-match that uh, Hamilton could catch pigeons, which is a lovely old-school phrase. But it's David Flickcroft, Simon, who deserves the credit here because his substitutions did it for him. Cheltenham come back from 2-0 down, but then Atkinson and McDonald off the bench to win it for Stags, who were again looking good, particularly at home. Yeah, on his one-year anniversary in charge, which, you know, that year's gone really quickly, actually, but he's he's done very well. You know, they've got a good squad and a decent budget there, so perhaps no surprise they are in the top three this season. But he's one of those managers who uh, doesn't always necessarily get the credit that, that he deserves, but, you know, he got Barry out of that division in similar circumstances as well a few years back, and, you know, they're very well positioned. It's going to be a very interesting contest uh, between those teams around it because MK Dons I think will still come back strong um, and you look at the top four I'm not sure Exeter, Tranmere or Forest Green any of the other teams below them will be able to kind of match and challenge but you know between those four I think yeah it's going to be a real test of the nerves Yeah you mentioned uh, MK 1-0 for them against Crawley good finish from Kieran Agard looked like he might not get there after nicking it past the keeper score from a tight angle Adrian I'll put you on the spot if, sure. if you had to pick one now out of Mansfield or MK for third place who oh. are you going for? That is yeah, that is putting me on the spot. Well, MK have just won four in a row, haven't they, for the first time, I think, for a few years since 2015. But I think that Mansfield have got more goals in them. I, I know that they've got Agard and Anike, MK Dons, who, who carry them really with the goals. But, but Mansfield, yeah, I think that I, they score a lot of late goals. It just feels like they've got a bit more momentum than, than MK Dons, even though I've just said they've won the last four. Last four, They were lucky in this game. They didn't play very well. It was an absolutely horrendous mistake from Danny, Danny Ballman, wasn't it, from Crawley. Big goal kick. I don't know if he's heard the shout, but he's, he's done a duck and Agar's nipped in. That, that, was, that was criminal, really. So, no, I'll go Mansfield ahead of MK. In terms of odds, Joe, for League Two in the race for the playoffs, two points between Exeter in fifth and Carlisle in ninth. What, what are we thinking in, in terms of uh, in terms of that section of the table? Yeah, it's all, it's all really close, as you can expect, to, to make the playoffs. Uh, Carlisle and Swindon both 
at 9 to 4. Exeter are odds on at 10 to 11, the same price as MK Dons. And Forest Green are 4 to 11 to be in the playoffs. Clarkie thinks it's going to be Mansfield. They're more MK for third, according to you guys. If you're looking at the, the promotion odds, the top three are, as you can imagine, Lincoln and Berry miles ahead. Third in the betting is Mansfield, so we, we reckon they might just shade MK for the uh, for the where third are, spot. Where are Tranmere, by the way? Because Tranmere have snuck up on the rails and they've got Norwood, the top scorer in the division, phenomenal striker really at that at that level. I, I could, if anyone's going to... I'm not saying go into the top three, but come into the playoffs in the best form, it might just be Tranmere who... They just don't concede any goals at home. I think nine all season for Tranmere on home turf, which I think would make them a difficult opponent in the playoffs if they were to get there. They're, they're quite a short price, actually, to make the playoffs. They're 13 to 10, so just a shade above evens, and they're 8 to 1 for promotion. And at the bottom, other than Notts and Macclesfield, if it's not going to be them, who are we thinking? Uh, well, Macclesfield and Notts County in recent weeks have, have kind of got towards the even money mark to, to, to survive. Results haven't quite gone their way and they've, they've kind of drifted back to, to odds on to go down. Morecambe, 100 to 30 to go down. Port Vale are uh, an interesting price at 7 to 2. I think quite a big price uh, considering their recent travails. And that's the same price as Yeovil. All right, let's have a look at some fixtures that are coming up. We want to start with the Friday night game in the Championship Norwich v Swansea. Canaries versus Swans, usually a one sided contest canaries have got the pace but you know a swan can break a person's arm so i'm thinking bloodbath <laughs> home win simon i think so in that one i do like the job that graham potter is doing at swansea but i think it's more of a long-term project and possibly somebody who is in a similar position to the one that daniel farker found himself in at norwich this time a year ago really trying to rebuild a relegated squad for the following year so i think yeah norwich will be too strong in this one sheffield united rotherham adrian not much between them in terms of miles plenty in terms of points the fact that it's at bramall lane does that make this a home banker no not necessarily because Rotherham are good at scrapping, aren't they? And it, you would imagine being another derby, it, it won't be the prettiest game in the world. So look, it, it, I w- it would not surprise me if Rotherham were able to nick something here. Um, they're not as talented as, as the Blades, we know that, but they have a method and it's the kind of game that Warren will certainly pump his players up for. So I think it, that could be the, the game of the weekend. It might not be the prettiest, but it'll certainly be very interesting at both ends of the table. And in League One, Charlton versus Pompey catches the eye. Can Portsmouth carry on building momentum? I saw Charlton at Doncaster at the weekend, and, and they look pretty stable too. Yes, yeah, so it used to be a Premier League fixture, this one. So, so yeah, I think Portsmouth... Th- They've certainly cut, they've bounced back, haven't they, from that shocking spell that they had. So, yeah, if they can go to Charlton, who have definitely stumbled, if they can go there and win, then they'll start to eye up the top two, which maybe a couple of weeks ago they thought wasn't going to happen for them. The other one I'd pick out would be Bradford Peterborough, for, for different reasons, obviously, Bowie's first game, and, uh, and the posh, obviously, win that battle with, with Donny. Macclesfield MK, I guess this the standout game in League Two. Um, one of the managerial new boys against one of the division's wiliest managerial foxes. Simon, before we go, you're working on the the Salford City documentary at the moment, aren't you? What's the mood there in terms of their sort of aim to get into the into the EFL? It's not looking like it's going to happen this season, but presumably they're thinking a couple of years time. Well, I mean, it's definitely the plan is for this season. Yeah, that's the plan at the football club, and you know they've invested in their squad quite well. They've had a terrible run of form though. They were top of the league going into the new year, but they've fallen away quite badly. I think got their first win in about five or six games at the weekend as well. But it's a really interesting interesting one at the top of the National League. So you've got ex-football league clubs like Wrexham and Leighton Orient really pushing. But then you've got Solihull Moors mm. who get less than a 1,000 through the gate for every home game. One of the very few part-time teams in the National League now who just won't go away. Just before we go, life could be worse. You're not a coach at Baldock Town FC. Tweeted the week from them. 30 minutes into the game, a bird's just shit on our goalkeeper coach's head. Meant to be good luck, Lucky, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Adrian, Simon, Joe, thanks for your company today. I'm back next week. Until then, remember, Charlie says, always tell your mummy before you go off somewhere. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand.
Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life really, and here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.